With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Oh, one more beer for me. Exile means quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your exile. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace. This is... Oh, gosh, we got to talk about Wisconsin, don't we, Steve? Um, one week ago, we were talking about debatably the most impressive performance, um, most amazing display of offensive execution by an Iowa football team that I can recall, uh, given the quality of the opposition. One week later, we are talking about the exact opposite, the worst offensive outing of the Ferentz era, Possibly one of the four or five worst in school history, and it's 2017. Iowa musters just 66 yards of total offense against Wisconsin. I've pissed a lot of people off in my instant reaction podcast, so I'll just let you take it away. Well, <laughs> if I would have told you prior to the game Iowa was going to be plus three in turnovers at the half, what would you have told me the score is, John? Um, Iowa's up by two touchdowns. Yeah, instead they were almost down by two touchdowns. And it's really hard to be behind when you're plus three in turnovers and a half. Really the only way that can occur is if you are being physically dominated all over the rest of the field. And (laughs) lo and behold... That is exactly what happened. Um, You know, uh, that first half, Iowa 0 for 7 on third down, 20 yards of offense at the half, and it didn't improve all that much in the second half. I mean, really, um, I don't know what else is there to say other than Iowa was just outclassed, just outclassed by a team that in many respects was its mirror image, but – is just better at it, at least this year. And I think you saw that on Saturday. And, I mean, I guess if, you know, there's 
some, uh, you know, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey fans in the audience that just want to get their their BDSM on. We can hash the whole thing for the next 45 minutes, you know, if you're that masochistic about it. But the reality is they're just better, a lot better. And they showed it in ways on Saturday that they really haven't shown it all year long. And it's pretty clear that Wisconsin was looking for a game that provided them an opportunity to make a statement. And uh, they took it full advantage of it. Uh, they took full advantage of it on Saturday, and it is what it is. Just outclassed all over the field. You know, th- there are some folks out there that um, I don't know that they were all that satisfied with my post game reaction pursuant to. I-, I still look at this season from the macro, and I still look at it as a, and it's an attempt at an establishment of a foundation for the next two seasons. And by and large, I think that's what we're seeing. And if, if you would have told me after the Minnesota game, hey, John, I can give you a split sight unseen with Ohio State and Wisconsin, would you take it or would you take the risk of playing both games and potentially going 0-2? I would have taken it and run. And... This team has six wins with two games remaining. They're going. They're already favored in both of these final two games. So on the whole, for me, I still look at the season as I, I think it's actually going to exceed my expectations. The, the, the over-under win total before the year was six and a half. Both you and I took the under. Um, they beat a, uh, a highly ranked foe at home again this year. They got ranked this year for their you know recruiting brochures or whatever. But some people want to try to assign blame. Um, for looking at this from a standpoint of execution, play calling, uh, pre- preparedness for the Wisconsin Blitz that we knew was coming, um, not walking an extra man down into the box on first down when coming into this game, Wisconsin was an 80% first down run lean. And at one point in this game, they were 18 of 21 first down play rushes. I mean, do you do you have any sacrificial lamb to offer up, or no? Well, the truth is somewhere in the middle with these things, and I mean, the reality is the data doesn't lie. Now, if you throw in last Saturday's game, in the last four years, and I'm sure this trend would hold up if we went back previous years too, but I've only gone back four years, and the last four years. Iowa is now eight and three against the spread against teams that are ranked and they're 16 and 19 against the spread against, you know, teams that aren't They're They're spread the, how much they cover at home versus how much they cover on the road. There's a difference there too. It's not quite as pronounced as that trend, but the notion that's out there that, you know, when Michigan comes in or Ohio State or Penn State, um, you know, Iowa has something for them. I think there's something to it from a um, a passion bucket standpoint, Dan Patrick. And I think it's easy to, to get fired up for those games. Um, the Ohio State game was really the first time. And I would go back years, really. Uh, and you would know this better than me, obviously. But 
<clears throat> the Ohio State game was really the first time since Drew Tate was put in and the offense was changed in the middle of the season in 04 because of all the injuries at running back that I can ever remember not just having a wrinkle or two, but ever remember thinking Iowa has an entirely different game plan set aside for this game. Uh, they've reinvented themselves. That's not typically their M.O. When they win these games, they typically do them the way they almost beat Penn State, the way they did beat Michigan, and that is they force the other team. They, 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 dick, do, they do what Dick Bennett used to do in Big Ten basketball. They, they force you to win 52-48, to 48, uh, the, the football version of that. And they make you play in a phone booth and be patient and not make mistakes uh, and slow the game down. I think what was so startling, and we talked about it on the podcast last week about the Ohio State game, is not even that, that Iowa pulled the upset, but the manner in which they did it, that it was clearly not something that was within their normal wheelhouse of what we are – what we're what we are accustomed to seeing and i think for fans that were rightfully thinking hey we got this new offensive coordinator who's the coach's kid and you know maybe he's a fresh perspective and a new generation and this was the game that sort of established that and launched that and then you go back and see essentially more of the same from iowa that you typically see which by the way has been very successful i think kirk ferentz is now 85 and 21 in big 10 games that's you know fairly outstanding um but um if you thought that that was a a paradigm shifter you're probably very disappointed if if you if if you see this season as a moment in time then you probably have your perspective and i think there's not my place to tell iowa fans how to feel by any stretch I think there's a little bit of truth on both sides. Somewhere in the middle is probably the full truth. Yeah, I mean, we well, – I can't remember if you and I talked about it a week ago. I know I talked about it with Rob, but I did I, – I expected Iowa's offense to struggle against Wisconsin. I did not think that we'd see this, you know, offense like we saw against Ohio State unleashed – uh, for the rest of the season and into you know into eternity here uh, because of the style that Wisconsin was going to play on defense and you know that I said last week I just felt like Ohio State came into that game as arrogant as could possibly be with their defensive game plan what you saw from Wisconsin was very similar to what you've seen from every other Iowa opponent this year and why Iowa's offense up to the Ohio State game had uh, been nothing to write home about at best so I don't know. I mean, Iowa had, I think, five drop passes. Um, had some key drops on third downs. You're probably talking about robbing yourself 10 to 15 more plays. But I don't know. Wisconsin just seemed they seemed loaded for bear that day. And like you said, they needed something like that for sure um, to stop all of the the talk about being overrated this side or the other. And they'll have more chances coming up. Uh, what, Michigan this week, right? Yeah, they got a very – It's a, this is – you know, I, you've talked often on the podcast about Wisconsin – the Wisconsin envy you and other Iowa fans have is they've been the team that, you know, even though you guys are really mirror images of each other in terms of your, your uh, developmental style, the style of play, et cetera, they've been the team that has been able to win those next-level games. Well, 
they've never been 11 and 0 before as a program. And really, when you go all the way back to when Barry Alvarez reestablished their breakthrough season in 1993, when they returned to the Rose Bowl for the first time, you know, when they had Daryl Bevel and Brett Moss and those guys, every one of these teams has never been the flag bearer, has never been the standard bearer. They have never had to um, really wear the bullseye that a Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State in recent years, and Ohio State almost every year has to wear when they are truly great. That, that really Iowa, even when they've been great, hasn't really had to wear since Hayden was here because when Iowa is great, it usually shocks everybody. Wisconsin has, even when they've gone to the Rose Bowl, Every one of those Rose Bowls they won, except for the one against Stanford, which was Barry Alvarez's last game, they were an underdog in every one of those games. So they have they they have never had the bullseye on their back that they have now. You got game day coming there this week. Everybody on campus telling them, hey, you got this. This will be a very fascinating time for them as a program because they have feasted off of moments like the one they had against LSU last year when – they weren't even ranked in the preseason, and LSU was number five, and nobody gave them a chance. The, the Wisconsin program's been built off of that. And to now have to bear the entire burden of the conference as the, as the, as the Cadillac program, I'll be very fascinated to see how they handle that. Because I can just tell you as a fan of a program that for many years has had to, had to bear that, it's, it's not the same. It really isn't the same going into a game with two ranked teams being the prohibitive favorite over the team that has nothing to lose. And for a lot of time, Wisconsin's had the luxury of being good, but not being so good that they were the prohibitive favorite and they had nothing to lose. And now after what happened on Saturday, they're going to bear that, you know, because you look at the way that things transpired, how things have changed for Wisconsin in a matter of days, they've gone from, oh my gosh, we're going to let's panic that a 13 year old big 10 champion might not make the playoff to, well, look at the way they blew out Iowa who blew out Ohio state. They control their own destiny. You know, there's a reason why the great, arguably the greatest coach of all time was going off about rat poison two weeks ago to the media, because it is hard to keep that edge. And when you built a program on that edge and then suddenly, um, you know, that edge is taken away from you in terms of the perception of your team or where it's at, that changes things. I think it changed things a little bit for Iowa. You know, to come in, your back's against the wall. Um, no one's given you any kind of chance at all. Huge underdog at home by historic numbers uh, since really Hayden reestablished the program. That's one of the biggest underdogs Iowa's been. Uh, you and I, you and I have been dead wrong about Iowa for the last two weeks on this podcast. You and I gave them virtually. You, you and I both agreed. When when we discussed, hey, what's it take to beat Ohio State? What did we say? Not JT Beard. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, you know, actually, him being in the game was the best thing Iowa had going for him. <laughs> and then this week, we both made Iowa our 15 point game on our on, a, on the pool sheet, and we were wrong about. So, you know, it goes back to one of the greatest observations I can ever remember anybody making about college football, and it's something Lou Holtz said many years ago, when he said the beauty or nightmare, depending on how you look at it. The beauty or nightmare of coaching a college football team is they are virtually a different team. You're coaching a, t a different team virtually every single week. And you've seen that play out with Iowa. You've seen that play out with Ohio State. You saw, you saw Auburn, um, you know, or I'm sorry, Mississippi State. 
struggling to beat a nobody at home, and then they're leading Alabama at home in the fourth quarter and taking them to overtime. You saw Auburn, who couldn't get out of its own way against Mercer a month ago, puts up a 40-burger on the number one team in the country. You just you just don't know. You don't. And, and I think that just as we never saw that effort coming against Ohio State on sat- last Saturday, and so it, it was such a fun thrill ride, even if Wisconsin won, you never saw Iowa just getting mauled the way they did on Saturday, which makes, you know, uh, which reverses that extra juice. You go from, my gosh, we didn't just win, but the way we did it was so much fun to, goodness gracious, we lost, and the way we did it made it even worse. And so that means by the time we get done, you are what your record says you are, and the fan perception of your team when it's all said and done is probably somewhere in the middle between the sky is falling and rose-colored glasses. Let's go to the Big Ten. Um, other games, Ohio State 48, Michigan State 3. Another game we both put some points on. Um, did not expect Ohio State to absolutely throttle and destroy Michigan State the way that they did. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, that was uh, that was a butt-whooping. And when you look at the way it happened, if I was an Ohio State fan, I'd still be pissed off about the Iowa game yeah. and the game plan the week before because yep. th- that should have never happened. And they took it out on Michigan State, 524 yards to 195, 335 yards rushing. And that's the thing that would have irritated me quite a bit. 18 carries for J.K. Dobbins. Oh, he gets 124 yards. Uh, Mike Weber with 162 yards. So that's kind of the game plan they should have had the week before, and they got smoked when they didn't, and they do it this week, and they crush Sparty. Well, you know who really ought to be pissed are Michigan fans, Iowa fans, and Penn State fans. Because you walked out of those games after having lost to Sparty, and you knew those guys really aren't that good, man. That's really not that good a football team, frankly. And all three of those teams got got red in their ledger because Sparty just found a way of being stubborn enough, of not changing who they are, that um, you just, in the end, made more mistakes than they did, and they took advantage of that. But what we saw on Saturday was um, a, a team that came into this game angry, And so they were going to be more stubborn than Michigan State was. And you saw Michigan State's offensive line just get beyond dismantled. Um, Beyond dismantled by Ohio State's defensive front. You saw for the first time a, a team get an early lead. If you look at all three of the games that Michigan State won, um, this year all three of the big games they have the same thing in common they got to a quick start which allowed them to then not have to get out of their comfort zone look at the two game look at the games they've lost Notre Dame turnovers early Notre Dame gets a lead now Sparty's got to get out of its comfort zone same thing with Ohio State okay so Northwestern was just a game where uh, Pat Fitzgerald is just as just as stubborn cuss as Mark D'Antonio and it was actually Sparty that cracked in that triple overtime with Brian Lewerke making really the one bad throw he made in the whole game, and that ended up being the difference. So this was the M.O. of Ohio State said, we're going to impose our will, 
we're not going to let you, uh, you know, hit us with an ugly stick. And we've got something to prove after last week. So it was a perfect storm. And Michigan State really got a week's worth of reality checks in one game. They did indeed. I mean, uh, it's season's worth of reality checks, I mean. Let's move along elsewhere in the Big Ten. This, I, you called this one. I didn't, which is going to quite – I mean, I think I went 4-11 and 11 or 5-10 and 10 this week. Minnesota – well, you didn't call it like this, but Minnesota 54, Nebraska 21. And I couldn't help but harken back to that December 4th, 2014 podcast we did, the night that Mike Riley was hired as Nebraska's head coach when you said, this is a dumpster fire hire. Somebody, it's a fireable offense. Well, all those things have come to pass. Minnesota's offense came into this game, I don't know, somewhere ranked like 110th or so in the country. And they rolled up 514 yards against Nebraska, uh, including an unconscionable 409 yards against the Blackshirts. Unbelievable. And if there was any doubt, which to you and I there was not, any doubt of whether Mike Riley would be here next year or not, um, that died in Minneapolis. I think they're just waiting until the day after the Black Friday game against Iowa to announce his uh, firing. But just be a matter now of will it be Scott Frost or another bad hire? Well, in the last five years, which Nebraska is five and five against Northwestern and Minnesota. Hmm. So, I mean, forget about, you know, I know their people were losing it last year when their AD compared them to Iowa, right? Okay. So, they were already losing it about comparing themselves to what's really a perennially a top 25 program in Iowa. They're nowhere near competing with the perennial top 15 program and division contender in Wisconsin. Well, they're barely competing with Northwestern and Minnesota, man. Probably not what they, when you look at those numbers, that's, that's probably not what they had in mind when they joined the big 10 conference. The whole thing is a humbling to humiliating experience the reason why I called this game is the classic case of I've been very impressed with the way P.J. Fleck has handled this business during this season. You see a lot of new coaches come in, especially when they're hotshot guys with resumes. And they're repl- And even though Minnesota won nine games last year, their coach Tracy Clays was, let's just say, as a, as a persona, underwhelming. And we'll leave it at that, okay? He has resisted the temptation, even guys like Tom Herman had, of you know, empty cupboards and yeah, we can't sprinkle fairy dust. He has just kept coaching. As he likes to say, they've kept rowing the boat. He's been consistent. He hasn't changed his tune. He hasn't thrown kids under the bus. He hasn't blamed the previous regime. He hasn't told the fans to be patient because he, unlike I know other guys that come in with gimmicks, he's been compared to the Tim Brewsters and stuff of the past. But as I've said from the very beginning, this guy has actually built a program. And he built one at Western Michigan. He knows what he's doing. He's done it. So, yeah, he's got the sloganeering, but he came up through the dirt road here, you know, starting his unpaid assistance in the NFL, working his way up. So, you know, this isn't his first rodeo. So he hasn't lost his team. And this is the classic case of a, a guy that hasn't lost his team versus a guy who has. And you just saw that in the way that game played out on Saturday. And, you know, Bobby Diaco, I'm glad I'm not his agent, man. 
Oh, I, I mean, the guy created the only rivalry trophy in the history of college football that your alleged rival doesn't want to claim when they beat you for it. If you know that story with Scott Frost in Central Florida when Diaco was at UConn, he wanted to create this trophy game between them and Central Florida. They thought they needed a rival. And uh, last year was Frost's first year at Central Florida. And so um, Diaco's pre in the 2015 season when Central Florida was 0-12, Connecticut, he created this trophy. Connecticut won it and put it in their trophy case. Well, last year, Central Florida uh, went up to stores, beat UConn, and you, and then they refused to take the trophy with them. They thought it was such a joke. That's not a rivalry. They left it there. They told them you guys can have it. We won the game. It's all we care about. <laughs> and, and, and just a colossally embarrassing moment. And then there was whatever that was with his, you know, shooting the Easter egg comments we talked about last week. And then the way his defense non-performed. I think that guy, man, it's a good thing he looks good because, you know, he could maybe do some television work. Because I think he's going to have a hard time getting a gig, bro. I think so as well. And it, it just. I mean, I could see Mike Riley be, being the coach at Oregon State next year, frankly. Go right back there. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. It looks like that was that Nebraska defense has quit on them, for sure. And you, you hate to say that, and I'm not there, and I'm sure some people would take umbrage with it, but man... 54-21, unbelievable. Um, Northwestern beats Purdue 23-13. to Rutgers pace, uh, Penn State pastes Rutgers. And then uh, Michigan 35, Maryland 10 to round out. Well, Indiana also beat Illinois by 10, but I don't really think that matters. Anything you want to bring up from any of those? I mean, not really. I don't think there's anything all that noteworthy there. Um Unless there's something you wanted to ask me about, I don't really no. see anything that is mind blowing. No, I don't think so. I think um, some surprises or some noteworthy games from around the country. You you said on our Thursday night podcast where we give out predictions that you you expected a weekend of carnage, and you were right. There was a great deal of carnage. You you had just a number of games against ranked opponents. Uh, several against you know top ten teams playing one another. Miami was number seven. Notre Dame three. Miami just pasted Notre Dame. Neither of us picked that one. Auburn pasted Georgia. Um, you mentioned Alabama had to come back against Mississippi State at the end of the game. Um, Oklahoma beat TCU, uh, a match of number five versus number six at the time. You had Washington losing to Stanford, unranked Stanford, on Friday night. 
just Iowa State had a chance to win that game at the end and didn't just an amazing weekend of, of football and results and, and you were right there was a great deal of carnage which is why I don't I, I, I don't understand why we got to have a cow over these playoff rankings and projecting how things will turn out they'll work themselves out I mean we're in we've had three years of this and seven of the 12 teams it from in 2014, 2015, and 2016, seven of the 12 teams that were in the top four of the first college football rankings did not ma- eventually make the playoff. So the, the time to get worked up is the last week when you're trying to decide should Penn State be in as the Big Ten champion um, and they beat Ohio State or should Ohio State be in because that was their only loss and their overall resume appears to be better. That's when you have your argument. But there's no point in losing your minds now when the, you know, the conversation isn't over yet. The, the, all the information and all the data isn't in yet. And, and, and so things look pretty clear cut now, I, I, although that's exactly when you need to be worried. Because a, a very possible scenario that isn't out of the realm of possibility at all is Auburn beats Alabama at home in two weeks. Auburn is now becoming the team I thought they were going to be at the start of the year. They have a legit quarterback. That's the only thing they've missed the last couple of years. They've gotten so much better on defense. I think on Johnson should be in the Heisman conversation, frankly, the running back there. They've had everything else the last couple of years, except they never had a replacement for Nick Marshall. Now, Jarrett Stenham is not that kind of quarterback. He can move, but he's not a pure zone read guy. But he is giving them a downfield passing play action element um, uh, that, you know, is very difficult to defend when you can run the football like they do. So um, I, th- I think it's very possible they beat Alabama at home, go to the SEC championship game. Then you play your other big rival, Georgia, again, who you just, as you've been saying tonight, pasted. Well, really tough to beat a team twice in a season particularly when they're one of your big rivals and you destroyed them last go out. So Georgia, let's say they win that game. I don't think it's crazy that Alabama is this year's Ohio State, that we get down to the end and the committee says, let me see, they're only, they were number one. So let's say Alabama will be number one when the rankings come out Tuesday. So that puts them number one this week, number one next week after the because this is the this coming up week is when the sec teams play their non-conference scrubs usually and then let's say they lose to auburn so they're going to be number one or number two for the first five weeks of the college football playoffs and only have one loss to their biggest rival on the road i don't think we're out of the woods of a two-loss team getting in yet I don't think we're out of the woods of multiple teams getting into the Big Ten or to the uh, the playoff yet. I know everybody wants to say it's cut and dry. You right mean now. with two losses? Yeah, or no, I mean two different conference teams. I don't think we're out of the woods with that. Okay, gotcha. I don't think we're I don't think we're out of the woods of two teams or, or or a team with two losses getting in. There is still a lot of football left to be played. A lot. I still think the Big Ten has a very difficult path. I think I think unless Wisconsin is undefeated, I do. I would have told you before, looking at who was on the board, I wouldn't guarantee Wisconsin gets in undefeated. I do. Would, I would guarantee it now, looking at what's on the board. But if they're not undefeated, I think the Big Ten has a has a has a difficult case. They have no good non-conference wins other than Iowa over Iowa State. None. 
none that you care about on any level at all. Yeah, they've got everybody likes to say, well, they have the most power five wins. Well, one of the reasons why they have the most power five wins is they're a 14 team league that plays nine games in a conference. Okay, so that means, you know, everybody is playing at least nine power five games. And in a 14 team league, guess what? That's a lot of power five games. But we have no way to really measure how good the league is because almost all of this league's power five wins are against one another. All right. So, you know, we don't know. So I, I don't think Ohio State is instantly back in this at all. I don't know. I don't think they're going to lose another game. I don't. I think they will win all the way to the end. But but the good news for the league is I do think we are at the point now that Wisconsin definitely gets in if it's undefeated. But if Wisconsin's not undefeated, I don't like their odds of getting a team in. So right now, as you view it, how would you have the four teams, uh, which which four teams make the playoff? Well, you mean based on how I would project the season yeah, to end? Yes, yes. Well, I think Ohio State wins out. I think, um, I think Auburn beats Alabama. I think Georgia then beats Auburn. I think Oklahoma will win out. I just think Baker Mayfield is Aaron Rodgers right now, John. Uh, defensively, Oklahoma's not that good. They don't have the receivers they've had the last couple of years with Sterling Shepard and D.D. Westbrook. But the but but he's Aaron Rodgers right now. Uh, and, and, and what do I mean by that? His level of play is so high that your roster has to be a lot better than theirs to compensate for him. You understand what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, Green Bay's roster is a is a B minus roster. Man two to take man two to fifty three. Green Bay has a B minus roster, but you put Aaron Rodgers on that team and he makes a B minus roster, an A minus roster. Take him off that team and a B minus roster becomes a C plus or C minus roster. So Oklahoma has where they're at defensively, probably as by their typical standards a B roster. But where he the level he is playing at, he's making it an A roster. And it's just very difficult to stop them. I think they will win out. Um, I think Clemson will win out and beat Alabama, which then leave. I think you already have. I think Notre Dame is out, even if they win at Stanford, win impressively the rest of the, the rest of the way. I never bought the argument that was going around last week that well, if they went out and they're not in a conference, they went out. They were going to make it. I mean, you look at their overall resume. There's no way they're not one of the four best teams. But I think that second loss, especially given how humiliating it was, I think they're out. So I think it really comes down to, at that point, um, if, in my scenario, Georgia's clearly in, Clemson's clearly in, Oklahoma's clearly in. So who's your fourth team? Well, to me, the fourth team is your battle comes down to Alabama, number one or number two for five weeks with one loss on the road at Auburn, Ohio State, who got destroyed by Iowa and destroyed by Oklahoma um, as your Big Ten champion. And I think USC comes out of the Pac-10 or Pac-12, but they got destroyed by Notre Dame, and they already have two losses as well. To me, if I look at resumes, Alabama has the superior resume. So that puts two SEC teams in. I'd like to argue with you on that, but um, it's pretty sound. And I don't really disagree, or at least not to the point. I might have more disagreements next week, but not this far out. 
But you that's know, a projection. That's sure, a projection. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You're not saying, okay, here's your lock, take it to the bank. This is just where things stand this week. It's no different than the uh, the playoff show that we'll see in a couple of nights. It's how it is. Um, Saquon Barkley, three, four weeks ago, he was your Heisman Trophy winner. Now, yep. where is, is he even on your ballot? No. I don't think he's on anybody's ballot now. Wow. I mean, what's happened to Penn State is teams have figured out how to play them because their offensive line's not very good. And if you look at, you know, I think it's the last four or five games in a row, he's had at least a half where he's had single digits in rushing. Just to put in perspective, I mean, that that Rutgers defense that held him to 35 yards, Michigan ran the ball for over 300 yards against them just two weeks ago. So I think that I think people have figured out that Penn State's offensive line is still not where it needs to be coming off the probation. The numbers development still not there. I mean, their skill position talent is insanely good, but they're not that good at the point of attack. And you look at what they've lost. You know what it reminds me of, John, is <coughs> pardon me, it reminds me of Iowa in 1997 when they get off to that great start mm-hmm. and all that offensive firepower and Tavian Banks and Damon Gibson and, um, uh, you know, Tim Dwight. And they had those back-to-back road games at Ohio State and Michigan. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ohio State game, they were never really in. The Michigan game, they were up 21-7 to at the half. Probably should have won. And that was an Iowa team that in three weeks went from thinking national championship to – See at the Sun Bowl, bro. Okay, and that's kind of what's happened to Penn State. I mean, they were booking tickets to the playoff and a Heisman Trophy special season, and now they're not getting either one. You know, so it's a good thing for them that they're playing nobody down the stretch, and they'll finish ten and two and get into a New Year's Six bowl game probably. But you know, that's got to feel like an empty calorie season for Penn State fan, given what they were thinking just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, gosh, there was one more thing I wanted. Oh, Tennessee um, firing Butch Jones with cause, meaning he's going to get north of $8 million. There's going to be a – I mean, it seems like the last couple of years we've said this, but, man, there's going to be a number of big jobs open. Historically speaking, when you look at the winningest programs in the history of the sport, uh, Nebraska uh, will likely be open. Tennessee is open. Florida is open. There's just a lot of open positions. I think it's I think it's likely Arkansas is going to open. You had the Board of Regents meeting there last week, um, and I think that I think that job opens. I think Texas A and M opens. I, I still am not convinced Brian Kelly will return to Notre Dame, not because of them, but because of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has flirted with the NFL the last he's flirted or not I shouldn't say the last few years but he's flirted with them in the past and you got to think and ask yourself where can we really take this program I think they've got a motivation problem now okay I mean they're they're totally out of the playoff um, you go on that you have that road game against Stanford in a couple of weeks and that's not a place that, frankly, Notre Dame goes out there and wins that often anyway. So 
yeah, if you go nine and three, but Irish fans are going to be disappointed at that, given where the team was, you know, kind of like we were just talking about Penn State. Not to mention, if I was a school like a Texas A&M, if I can't get a James Franklin, why wouldn't I go get a Brian? Brian Kelly's act in your face, F-bombs on the sideline, tantrums. Down in Texas, you know what they call that, brother? Coaching, G. That's what they call that. <laughs> Down in Texas. You know what they call that at Notre Dame? Unseemly. That's what they call it. Okay? So I'm not 100% convinced he's on the sidelines there next year. I never really – I wasn't going into the year. Um, I think Rich Rod has saved his job. He's found his Pat White. I think Arizona State is 50-50. Um, I think I don't I don't think the AD there Dan Guerrero at UCLA has been known to have an itchy trigger finger with coaches basketball and football but but word is he is close to retirement and doesn't really want to have to fire another coach but you know you got to ask yourself if you bring Jim Mora back I mean how did the guy wasted Josh Rosen so you, you know if you bring him back, he's number one on every hot hot seat in the preseason. So you got to ask yourself, what's that due to the 2018 recruiting class, right? With that speculation out there, mm-hmm. so I think it's I think it's very possible that UCLA is going to open too. You know, uh, you're right. We say this every year. There's a lot of high profile jobs, and that will continue, um, and especially in the SEC, and it's because of what Nick Saban has done. And everybody's like, you know, if they can do it, why can't we? And I get that mindset, but not every coach is Nick Saban. On the other hand, you have to be better than what Tennessee has been in SEC play. You have to be better than what Kevin Sumlin has been in November throughout his career at Texas A&M when they get into the, uh, you know, uh, the nitty-gritty of conference play and his teams just physically aren't competitive. So – when you're when you're spending what these schools are spending on facilities um, and coaching staffs and everything else, then I don't have a problem at all with fans wanting a commiserate product. Do you? I don't have a problem with that. Well, uh, you know, your point about what Alabama's done, why can't we? I mean, it's, it's not like Bama didn't have a history before Saban got there, but he's just taken it to another level. And, uh, and, and until he's gone from there, I think most everybody's playing for runner-up, or if you're in the Eastern Division, that's your your best chance uh, until he's gone. So he's got something moving. All right. Well, hey, last thing for you: Do you think there's any chance John Gruden goes to Tennessee? You know what's funny is he comes up for every job opening, right? He does, and he's been so adamant. And here, this is the only reason I hesitated, because he's making like, is it something like I read like seven million a year or something to do Monday Night Football? Gee, many Christmas. Why would okay. you leave that? And exactly, why would you leave that? But I'll say this: by this time, normally he has publicly rebuked the speculation in the past. Has he? I haven't seen him do that yet. Have you? No. Uh, does he have a connection to Tennessee? I don't know if he's got a connection there. Um, you know, he's got connections to Michigan and Notre Dame um, through his old man and when he was coming up. 
Um, I don't know if he knows if John Curry, the the new AD there, who was part of the administration at Tennessee when they got rid of Philip Fulmer, for example. I don't know if there's a connection there. I don't know if the guy just sees a program. You know, I mean, historically, Tennessee football from the time it entered the SEC until 2009 won 65% of its Southeastern Conference mm-hmm. football games. The percentage of SEC games it's won since 2009 is 32%. Wow. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? Yes. So if you're John Gruden, you go to a school. I told you before, it's the most beautiful football stadium I've ever been to is Neyland Stadium. You know, if maybe, maybe he just has the itch to coach again. That's possible. Because I will say this. He has always been quick to squash this speculation in the past. And he has been eerily silent about it. So in my mind, you know, every fan base throws John Gruden out there. I was thinking 3%. Now I might be thinking 10, 15, but those aren't great odds, but it's a hell of a lot higher odds. I would have given you a week ago. I'll say that much. Yeah. You got to pay him what? 10 million to leave that gig. Here's, I don't know what the, does ESPN have a buyout? Well, here's the other thing. Anybody really good, you're paying him at least $5 million, at least. Mm-hmm. Not to mention what you've got to do to buy out them from their current deal. The one exception to that is Chip Kelly. You're not, Chip Kelly has no buyout, obviously, so he's not coaching. So you just, you know, you pay him his 7 or $8 million and uh, on top of what it takes to build a staff. But you're not paying, like for Matt Campbell, you're not cutting Iowa State a check for nearly $10 million dollars. And you and I both know Jamie Pollard well enough to know he getting he getting every penny of that, brother. Every red set. He's gonna be out there. He's gonna be out there, you know. Um, oh, I, the name escapes me. Uh, the great barbecue joint in Ames, everybody loves. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna get 50 emails from people. I'm getting old, guys. Brain fart. I apologize. But he's gonna be outside that great barbecue joint there in Ames. Everybody Hickory loves. Park. Yes, squeezing all the blood out of the Hickory Park turnip. He's getting if if you are get, you are given Jamie Pollard every last cent of his nine point four million dollars. I promise you, for Matt Campbell, every last cent. And then you got to pay Matt Campbell whatever you get. Matt Campbell's a twenty million dollar, nearly a twenty million dollar transaction. When you consider his buyout, we'll take then what, what salary he has to make, uh, his assistance. And you got to ask yourself if you're Tennessee, Florida, these kinds of schools, Texas A&M, is the resume that I've seen at Toledo and Iowa State worth a 15 to $20 million gambit? I would say no, by the way. I would say no. But um, it's not like there's 15 coaches waiting in line either. Right. You know? Once you get past John Gruden, Chip Kelly, Scott Frost – even Mike Norvell at Memphis, yeah, he's got a really good team, but he inherited that team, remember, John, from Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, who built that program. You know, he, he didn't build that program. Like B.J. Flake built Western Michigan, or Scott Frost is building Central Florida. Those are players Justin Fuente recruited. So there's not a long list of people. And I, I would not rule out James Franklin taking uh, one of these jobs. If Why is they, that? 
Why? Because um, do I want to compete? I've already been at Vanderbilt. I won nine games a year at Vanderbilt. What is an easier path? Beating Alabama in the SEC championship game or having to beat all these teams in the East in the Big Ten just to get to my championship game. Hmm. Not to mention, Saban's pushing 65, brother. He ain't doing this five or six more years. I don't think so. At, that at the maximum. Maximum. Franklin's still a young guy. Now, I wouldn't bet on it, but, you know, he's got a history in the state. And, uh, you know, that, that's a tough road in that division, man. It's tough. Look at, look at, we just got through talking about, they've got the best skill position talent, maybe in college football, arguably, across the board. We look at, if you consider Gusecki at tight end too, they're not even a factor in the playoff. If this exact, if this exact team played Tennessee's schedule, what would, what would they be right now? They might have one loss to who? Third Saturday in October to Alabama, right? Okay. If this, if this, if if take Penn State's players and put them on Tennessee's Tennessee's uniforms and schedule, and I think we're talking about them um, in the SEC championship. That's game. an interesting notion, for sure. Hmm. I wouldn't mind Penn State feeling a little more pain, but that's just me. All right, thank you to Heartland Flagpoles and Flags, Exile Brewing Company, and the Iowa Port Producers for your support of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Steve and I will be back Thursday night with our predictions. Rob and I will be back on Wednesday to uh, talk a little football and basketball as well. Take care, everybody.